Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of The Reclaimed Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker and I'm here with Jesse Skiffington. How are you doing today, Jesse? Doing very well, Jason. Really looking forward to our conversation today. It's a, it's a good friend of both of ours and uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we have people like this in our lives that can share the journey with us and, and kind of come from a, just a totally different way of operating and looking at things, but there are so many parallels to what we're trying to do as well in, in sort of existing established churches. So tell us a little bit about Dave. What are we going to be hearing today? What should we be looking for as we listen in? Well, as you said, Jesse, you know, Dave Berge is our guest today on the podcast, and uh, he's been a friend of ours since seminary. And for all the listeners out there, you know, many of you are pastors. You had to do some kind of CPE experience, clinical pastoral education. We did ours to get Jesse and I did ours together with Dave Berge and a couple other fellows that that we were just kind of a a wolf pack, you know, and <laughs> back back in seminary days. And it's so awesome because one of the difficulties of having close friends in seminary, as you know, is the fact that you're dispersed all over the country once you graduate, and then you don't really get a chance to to keep up those connections. And so it's really nice to touch base with colleagues and friends who are just doing great things for Jesus. They're just out there crushing it with ministry, trying new things. Uh, so in our conversation with Dave, Dave was a uh, associate pastor for youth, uh, for student ministry, and he ended up planting a church near his hometown uh, in Minneapolis, and and then how that journey led him from one stage to another. And I, you know, we thought it'd be great to have Dave on because as a church planter, there are so many parallels to what we're trying to do and um, bringing revitalization and change to churches. Uh, I know that you feel this too, Jesse. It's like yeah. um, there's so many more things in common because you're trying to do a lot of the same things. You're trying to reach out to a, a group of people that currently does not come to your church, and you're trying to figure out a way to bring them in, to to attract them, to engage them, and to create new life cycles in your church with different groups. Yeah, so I think as you as you listen today, you're going to hear... A guy that's uh, not perfect, like all of us, trying new things, going for it. And what I really appreciate is just Dave's courage, his willingness to kind of break the rules and just go for it to make make things happen and make things work. And so uh, you're going to benefit from this, I believe, and uh, we're glad to share Dave with you. He's, he's just an amazing guy. And so here's a little bit with Dave Berge. All right. We are here with a good friend of ours, uh, Dave Berge, who... Uh, Dave and Jesse and a couple other friends and I, we were at Princeton Seminary together. We spent a lot of uh, late nights talking, talking over classes, talking probably in classes, uh, (laughs) uh, sharing a big part of our kind of preparation for ministry and ministry formation as pastors together. We did a CPE together, clinical pastoral education at the same hospital. Uh, Dave's a bro. And uh, we, we're so glad to have him on the podcast because he's had a really, 
really interesting and awesome ministry journeys in seminary. You know, it's so amazing how, and almost, I mean, it's also kind of sad that that after seminary, we all disperse to different parts of the country and don't really see each other again, which is a real drag. But it's great with technology and podcasts to get some excuses to talk and to get reconnected. And so uh, Dave, Dave went off and uh, he was an associate pastor uh, for several years. He was out in California uh, suffering for Jesus in mm-hmm. Ojai and uh, uh, meeting famous people and uh, shooting the film Easy A. And uh, no, <laughs> but I have a great, I mean, I do have a great Easy A story. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah. Um, but Dave, Dave's a church, he became a church planner and uh, successfully planted a church that now has merged with another congregation. So we have so many great questions for Dave um, because I think that church planting, uh, merging with other churches, this is all part of what might it look like to create new life cycles in our churches to start and launch new things to reach new groups that we're currently not reaching. So Dave, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Oh, it's a, a true pleasure. So uh, I'm a listener, longtime listener, first time caller. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to being on the podcast today. And uh, and your other guests are, are have been so great. So um, uh, you know, I'll shed whatever light I can. But yeah, I think my uh, the trajectory and the path that I've taken in ministry is not one that I anticipated at all. And so uh, whatever can be gleaned from that, I, I hope is, uh, I hope is interesting and, and encouraging to people who listen to it. So, uh, this will be fun. Excellent. So why don't you, why don't we start with just your journey going from, okay, your associate pastor, you're primarily in charge of, was it youth and families? It or was, just it was, it was student ministries. Student ministries. Um, yep. That was my, like, I was the associate pastor of student ministries. And you're doing that for how long out in Ohio? I was in Ohio for exactly four years. Four years. And then when did you start feeling the nudge to say, hey, you know what, I think it's about time to try this church planning thing? Was it something that happened all at once? Was it a process? It was. Um, I mean, I think the, 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 you know, to keep with the planting metaphor, the seeds for it were certainly in my heart. Um, you know, I, I think since I was a, a young, like doing what I'm doing now, the seeds for what, where that came from have been in with me since I was you know, a young kid, maybe even a teenager, like, um, specifically just a very deep desire to, um, be, give new life, uh, you know, have congregations, um, experience new life, uh, in, in specifically in, you know, South Minneapolis where I grew up, which I love so much. So that desire, I grew up in a very, um, loving, nurturing church, but one that, uh, you know, it's heyday was in the 1960s. And so, you know, and it, it was just always sort of, we're not what we were, you know? So even though it was like actually, you know, a healthy, um, you know, pretty dynamic church, it was always on this kind of state of decline and we, we weren't what we were. And so um, I always felt the dissatisfaction and, and I felt that disconnect between the church and community saying, well, what if we could just like start over here and do something new? So I, I think I've been, I've had that in my spirit um since probably I was in high school and where that kind of intersects with being in Ojai um is I loved I loved Ojai. I mean Ojai if you've ever been there it, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Shangri-La is what they call it. I mean it's <laughs> it's truly like it is it's, it's great. It's, it's great. It's amazing. Um 
And, uh, you know, I ran into Reese Witherspoon and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just, it's absurd in a lot of ways. So, so far from, you know, this Midwestern, uh, kid that I was like here in, in California, but, um, I was actually in, I was a, a delegate, this is so boring, but a delegate to the general <laughs> assembly in, uh, uh, Pittsburgh, I think it was in 2012. Um, and so for folks who don't know, that's like the biggest denominational gathering in the stream of Presbyterianism, which I come from. And, um, uh, and like there was this really, this guy named Todd Balsinger had formed this group to try to do this experiment in terms of finding new ways for churches to relate to each other, to, to start innovative new ministries. Um, and so he had put a lot of time and effort. Um, it was like some middle governing body commission. I mean, just something awful horrible <laughs> polity name, but really an exciting work. And I got to be on this committee that was considering it. And this was, you know, one of the things was, well, this is going to be a way for us to stay together despite theological differences. Like this will be a way to, to stay together with integrity and get beyond fighting to doing dynamic new ministries and stop making excuses about why we can't get around to doing these things. And so he had gotten this buy-in buy from across the church spectrum um, to, to say like, hey, let's try this experiment with our polity and open up new avenues to doing new things. And I was so excited to be on this committee. And Todd is, you know, he's written a lot about, um, I know he didn't come up with the term, but, you know, adaptive leadership, like he's canoeing over mountains. He wrote that book. I mean, it's just so good in kind of, I think what you guys are talking about when I'm doing, which is reclaim leadership is a, how do you do adaptive change? You know? Right. Um, and so uh, I'm so excited because I'm like, this is the conversation that the church has to be having. Like, this is so essential and vital. And and finally, someone like the this incredibly faithful, sharp person is leading this conversation. And I saw the sort of forces, uh, uh, you know, line up against him and just absolutely tank, uh, tank this effort. And so I was so discouraged because here was this cool thing. I thought, like, let's try this. Or, and it was just went down in flames, like not even referred. Sometimes they can refer business to the next general assembly. It wasn't even referred. It was shot down <laughs> so hard. Um, and, uh, uh, and I was just so discouraged. I was driving home from LAX back up to Ohio. And I was just thinking in my mind about where am I going? Like, why did I get into ministry? Was it to sort of like, okay, I'm an associate pastor at a, you know, a great church and I can, you know, climb up the old career ladder, you know? And I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, like, I want to die. Like, that's not what I want to do with my, with my life, you know? And, uh, and I just had this come to Jesus moment is like, what, what gifts and passions has God given me so that I can do the greatest possible good leverage those for the greatest possible good for his kingdom. And, and it was like church planning came in my mind at that moment. And I was like, but how do I get from A to B? Oh my gosh, that's impossible. Especially given the denominational context that I was in church planning is just like, it's just so peripheral. It's, yeah. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm just stating facts. I'm not trying to be pejorative at all. It's so peripheral yeah. that it's, it's like, it's like, it just doesn't happen very much. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so rare just to provide some, to kind of put some uh, like actual statistics around that. Like I know that the presbytery, I, cause I still am a presbytery minister, the presbytery um, in which I'm situated now has planted one congregation in the last probably 10 years. Um, the, the covenant church, which I also work with, uh, they have planted probably, you know, 25 in the last 10 years. Yeah. So the, the scale and the scope and the expertise and support and resources, it's just night and day. So when I was thinking about planting, I spoke with a, 
a mentor who had actually been a field ed supervisor of mine um, back here in the Twin Cities, and uh, or MSP as we now call it. Um, uh, and uh, so back here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, he he had been an associate pastor at a very large, um, very large Presbyterian church here, and and uh, and I connected with him, and I was like, man, I, I don't know what I should do. You know, like I'm feeling this call to do something different and new. And he's like, you should be a church planner. He's like, I did it. He's like, I had no idea what I was doing. I was terrible. He's like, if I could do it, you can do it. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, but if you're going to do it, I want to connect you with folks from the, from the covenant, which is the evangelical covenant church, which is, I had really never heard of it. Honestly, it's a, like, was a small Swedish, uh, denomination basically in the twin cities in Midwest. And, uh, it probably most famous, but it, then it changed it, ad- it adopted church planning as a, uh, a mission strategy in the early nineties and went from like a denomination of about 90,000 Swedes to, you know, over 350,000 people, I think now worship in um, covenant churches every week. So, you know, well, where the general trend and trend in American Christianity has been, you know, down and to the right, you know, they've experienced really growth. And most of that is attributable to church planting. So got in conversations with them. They have an assessment process where they put you through the paces, you and your spouse, um, and uh, it's so helpful. It's such a helpful thing. You know, you're doing some of the personality and strengths finder and Enneagram, you know, that devil tool. You get to use that. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a three, by the way, if anyone's wondering. Um, and so you use the Enneagram. And, and so you're like, really, just this time to reflect on what are my, do I have the, according to your criteria, the unique gifts and calling in order to pursue this particular ministry of church planning? And so we were assessed positively. And then you have to come up with a, plan basically like so it means that like if it means you're green lighted so that if you come up with a good enough plan with the uh with the person in charge of church planning in your region they'll give you a go ahead and they'll resource you and support you and bless you in doing that so i started reconnecting with some people back in minneapolis i got just enough people to say yes and just enough money committed to get going and we moved back here in 2013 and so i've been doing it for um for 4 years like um, the church planning effort. And for the last, um, I mean, probably two and a half of those years, the, the, uh, the cooperative effort with, uh, with the established, uh, Presbyterian church too. So it, it's like, that's my story of how I got into it. Um, yeah, yeah that's good stuff. Dave. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the launch process. Cause I think, you know, maybe there's some points of resonance or, you know, with, with church leaders like us that are in established churches, but working for change. And, I don't know, you know, there's sort of this um, allure out there that if I got to plant a church, I could just, you know, uh, write all the rules that I wanted and make things just the way that I want. And I think I, you know, we were talking beforehand that there there's some some similarities between uh, sort of the, the startup phase of, of a church plant and some of the the work that has to be done to introduce something new into the life of an existing congregation. So tell us a little bit about your launch process. What was that like? What What were you focused on? So that maybe maybe there's some things we can learn from from you and your experience um, as you launch that. Yeah. So um, there's a ton of resonances between I think congregational revitalization and redevelopment and revisioning and church planning. In fact, in our launch process, um, you know, one of the things that that I focused on really after I mean, kind of asking the people who who I wanted to ask, um, and then kind of one of the, we visited a bunch of churches just to see like I you know because I mean honestly like. I don't get to see that many churches because I'm working at one and grew up largely at one. And in seminary, you know, so like I'm very limited in my experience. So just seeing, hey, what's kind of the vibe 
in the Twin Cities, um, doing that with my launch team for probably two months, reached the diminishing return point. But that helped us kind of see like, hey, it helped us define who we wanted to be based on that. And then um, we would get together every single week in our living room, and we went over these um, 10 markers of healthy missional congregations, which actually comes out of a, a congregational vitality um, which is the redevelopment process within the covenant denomination itself. So because I'm like, just because you're new does not mean you're going to be a healthy missional church. These are markers of, that every church can use to measure them. So we started using a tool that was developed for um, revitalization right away from the beginning. A- and that helped, I think, spark a lot of, um, a lot of healthy uh, conversations. Um, the, the, the hard part of like, of launching something brand new is um, without a parent church, you know, which we didn't have, which, I mean, I'd say in terms of like the pathways to pursue in terms of planning a church, having a parent church or two is the best way to ensure that you're going to like, they talk about my church planning coach talks about like large birth weight, like babies when they're born, like, you know, uh, big, like, you know, they're that's a sign of health. So if you start with, a large launch team, um, that's really going to, you know, some of that success is going to, it'll be like a snowball effect and and that's really going to be helpful. Um, and you know, I had a son who was extremely premature, so I know about low birth weight and, uh, and kind of the way our church started, we were pretty low birth weight. So that's a big challenge in terms of like getting traction and not having a parent church. Like who are the kind of people who are not really connected to a church? You know, like they might not necessarily be the best people to start something new because they're not engaged. So like, what do you want these like disconnected, like disengaged people? How are they going to really pour into something? I think I did not anticipate that challenge of like not highly committed people from the beginning and like how awful it is to try to do something like, do you be all in? And then people are like, eh, you know, like I don't really care. <laughs> but there was a few people on that team who were so, I mean, like, they're still a part of what we're doing. And, um, it, like you could sort of tell, I mean, from very early on who was like all in and who was like, uh, you know, they taught when we talk about planting, we talk about like, there's kind of three types of people who are attracted to that. Uh, you know, and so, um, there are people who are like just highly, like highly capable people is one. Uh, but then there's highly needy and highly controlling people. And so when you launch something new, like you want the highly capable people and you got to watch out because it's like buzzards swarming around, you, you know, like, they, like somehow they just sniff out the controlling people and the needy people um, will find it too. And, and they can tank. If you have too many of those two as a part of what you're trying to start, it's going to be like a, just a weight that's keeping you from getting off the ground. So, yeah. Do you think, Jason, maybe you can speak to this too, because uh, do you think that same dynamic shows up in, when you're trying to do revitalization, that needy people, controlling people kind of come out of the woodwork when there's a new vision, new direction? Did you have that experience, Jason? Oh, absolutely. Because they want control. They, they want to control <laughs> the revitalization process too. That's right. And, and some of that comes from, hey, if I'm going to give to this thing and if I'm going to give big, I want to make sure I have a voice in how the ship gets steered. And, uh, those are very difficult to deal with because there is a reality. You need them to give big. Um, so you want to give them a voice on some level, but you also can't be held hostage by it. But not everybody's like that, but definitely that's a dynamic because 
you know, it's those folks who feel like they have a right to have um, maybe even more of a voice or more of a say than they ought to. Uh, not just based on giving, that's just one metric. It could, could be just a commitment to the church or their own like self perception of how much they're committed to the church. Some of them see themselves as gatekeepers of one kind or another or uh, change agents in one kind or another, and they hold that as like a proud banner. And so if they weren't to be involved, it would be seen as a not a major insult and therefore a major mistake on the church's part to not have included my expertise. Uh, so it, it's challenging, but I think like Dave said, I mean, those people, those people, uh, reveal themselves quickly uh, as as to, you know, who they are and kind of what they're looking for. It's just sometimes it's tough as a leader, especially the leader of a nonprofit and especially the pastor leader of a nonprofit to be able to say the hard things and to not let them just run roughshod over the process, which they could very easily do. Yeah. yeah and, and you have a vision for something, but you're like, um, there's a hunger that can quickly like turn into desperation and like <laughs> yeah. oh yes uh, this you know you come you sit down i talk about you like because you develop um as a part of the training process for church planting you know you do the visioning stuff and so you know you're talking vision you're talking values you're talking mission and you come up you know even name and you come up with this like your paper church is like the best church ever like, <laughs> you know I mean? like it, it's you know we're, yeah. we're ruffling the axe to church you know like this thing is, this place is just the best. And then you like, with get better with marketing. Reality. Yeah. With way better marketing, you know, and then you sit down with these people and like, and, and people are just pulling it in a million different directions and you can lose yourself very quickly in that. If the hunger switches to, to desperation and you just try to like make these people happy to just keep them there no matter what, because I need you. Like I literally need you because what if you go away? Like there won't be anyone here. So I, I think I really struggled with that fear of like, oh my gosh, like this this thing could like not last. Like it's and a house so of fighting, cards, you yeah. know, and it, and it could yeah. just all come crashing down yep. in one little, yeah. And the it, truth I, is it could, because that happens probably all the time in the church planting world. Oh, and yeah. How do you have the courage to stick with your vision and your culture and, and move toward it? It's risky. It's risky in the established church. It's risky in the church planting world. But I think I, I imagine one of the metrics on that healthy church list from e, the ECC is something about risk taking for the sake of the mission. You know, I imagine that's on there somewhere. It's on in in our world. We have the six healthy church competencies that we look mm-hmm. at over and over again in our uh, established churches. And uh, so it might be useful. Is that something you'd be willing to share? Um, oh, yeah. Get our, oh, yeah. I think 100%. that's what, what we're looking for, our resources. What does it look like to be a healthy, vital church? Uh, and it's not just growing numerically and, you know, all that kind of thing. But how are we deepening? How are we pursuing the right kinds of things? And, um, and so I think like, folks would benefit. Yeah. And it gives you as a as a pastor and it gives, I think, staff and then your, you know, elders or other like other leaders, like it gives you something just to talk just to talk about and like an That's objective right. way to talk about, Hey, how are we doing in each one of these areas? And, yeah. And, and for us, as we've used that tool in our world, it's, it's also said, here's what an external sort of objective source has noticed in healthy, vital churches. Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of things they're doing. This is what they're committed to. It's not perfect, but if you're moving towards these things and in, in, in our world, we actually get to rate, rate ourselves against that and say, where do we need to improve? And that, um, that's been a huge thing for us to, to, so let's, let's throw that in the mix and we'll, we'll get yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. And it's, I know it's on, it's just publicly 
uh, you know, yeah. publicly available. Um, but we'll get it in the show notes. So yeah, people can look at it. Cause I, I've, I found that to just be really useful in working, um, in leading conversations, heading up to launch with the launch team, like, like yeah. talking through, like, we want to be really good, like in these 10 areas. Like, That's right. And, and, and if you're like me, Dave, I, I, and Jason, you know, I think at a gut level, we know all 10 of those or six or however many it is in your world. Uh, but somehow having somebody else name them and say them out loud for your leaders and and have it articulated and kind of thought through, that's super helpful. And it's not just you saying these are this is what it means to be a healthy church. It's this this other source. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Jason, I know you wanted to get to the merger stuff. So let's let's yeah. talk a little bit. About well, well, for, first, I wanted to jump into um, yeah, how many people did you have on the launch team? Uh, you know, um, like regularly probably showing up to our house. I mean, I would say, you know, legit, like on paper, I probably said, you know, and this was just to get going, you know, like, I mean, these were people who had stuff to do with us, but, uh, you know, to get over, I had to have 20 people on there, but it was probably like 15, you know, legitimately like people who were like so you're doubling up on, you know, pregnant women and hoping she's yeah, like, twins, right? Like, we're, yeah. we weren't allowed to count children as a part of our lunch. Team, okay. that, they would have goosed the numbers, but you know, I had 15, like, committed definitely committed adults at the very 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 beginning and um, how long how long did you meet before launch day um you know we started we started kind of that really like gathering launch team and and meeting together um i'd say from yeah i mean september october november december four four to five months we were really intentionally meeting together on a weekly basis and and you launched in a middle school right uh, in, so, a, in a elementary school. Yeah. So one of the things that was so cool was that, uh, you know, Jesse and I and uh, a couple of other friends, we came out there right before you launched, which was really, uh, I've looked fondly at that time and we were very excited for you and excited for the, the launch process. Uh, we even read some Greek, which was, that, that was pretty sweet. We oh, that was awesome. Right. With, uh, with, uh, Dennis Edwards. Who's yeah. A, it was so good. I'm like, yes. Here. Yeah. It was super. I mean, he's just a, a amazing guy. So that was um, totally fun that we got to dust. I, everyone else gave up in that group. So like he gave up, <laughs> but I, I still would go back to, oh, that was, it was so good. And you know, if I the only criticism of that time was there were literally frozen waterfalls. So Dude, if next it time we so cold, like you have, it was it so ridiculously cold since then. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. So next time, if you could do something about that, I mean, winter in Minneapolis, you know, it was just, like, yeah. it's so cold too. And you guys were sleeping in there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty chilly. It was, but yeah, it was, you know, that was a, it's so exciting. I think the, um, the, and we really celebrated after that first service. I mean, it was really great. It was, you know, very, very special. Um, uh, and so it was fun, but you know, like, then you're like, oh my gosh, like I could not believe if I had to do that again next week, Yeah, I would, I would die. Because you're built, I mean, because the difference is you're totally like starting from scratch and bringing everything, you know, bringing all the equipment in and buying coffee pots and, uh, I mean, all the stuff you'd never have to think about yeah. all of a sudden it's like all a hundred percent on your shoulders. Um, so how long so, did you worship, uh, in the elementary school? Um, you, we were in the school for six months. Was that when you had the opportunity to have the conversation with with your home church or did that happen yeah. later? Yeah. That, that happened, um, in that first six months, right around, uh, Memorial day, um, uh, of that, of that year. So, cause the pastor from my, my home church, um, who's, I mean, a, a 
a great guy. He took a new call. And so I just, and, um, you know, my parents are very plugged in there. So I said, I was like, and I had very consciously like stayed away, you know, I had not had, um, anything to do, uh, with, with my home congregation at all, you know, just trying to be respectful and not like, Hey guys, like, <laughs> you know, come. And we, and we actually were meeting at night. So it wasn't like anything, you know, my, like my dad could come and help out and anything. So, um, no one was being pulled away. Uh, but when they left, like, I just knew that, you know, my home church was like, str- I mean, struggling. And so I just said, what, what are you guys thinking? Cause this was kind of the previous pastors. It was sort of like the, the, like, Hey, we're giving it the last best effort. You know, we're going to hire someone good and, and try to go through a revitalization process. And it, it just, it was so challenging that the church was, I mean, on fumes in so many ways. Like, and so it was a question, not a question of, Hey, how are we going to continue on and like, give it one, you know, how are we going to like, give it another go is like, how do we end well was really, um, you know, the best leaders in my home church were thinking, how do we like, we don't want to wait around to see who's going to be the last person to turn out the lights. Like, how do we end faithfully? Um, and that was actually like the totally healthy, right conversation and mentality to be saying, but I knew that, you know, I'm like, Hey, you guys still have some resources. You still, you know, you don't have enough money to like pay a pastor, but, um, you have some very faithful people who get it, you know, like, like get what church is about and have a, have a heart for Christ. You have this building in a great part of the city, um, you know, and you, and you have some people who give like, so you still have something to offer, but on your own, there's no way you're going to make it no chance at all. But what if we find some ways to, uh, you know, my church will come in, we'll start worshiping here and we'll ask the question, you know, should we worship, like, how should we be together? In what sense should we be cooperating? And in what sense can we then bring the best of what we both have? Because it's not like my, you know, I planted this church. It's not like I'm blown up the spot. You know, we had 65 people at our first worship service and, you know, we're down in the, in the, you know, mid thirties by, you know, April. And that the median age was like 26 years old, you know? And I mean, the, there's people who like, give more money now in one month than like the whole church was bringing in. (laughs) I mean, and we got resources to the domination, but I mean, like I'm, I, it doesn't take like a genius to be like this trajectory is not sustainable. And the, even the plant, and this is to my own, you know, detriment or whatever, it had become like a large small group. And, and it, people were so like happy with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is great. Like, I know everyone. And these are my friends. And like, we get to see each other. And isn't this cool? And and so it was insular. It was a like, it was like a club for people who knew each other already. And I was like, that's the thing about starting something new. It's like, it can become a Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, like you make it, or I guess the monster is not Frankenstein. It can become the monster that Frank, Dr. Frank. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to you know, pedantic people emailing you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, you create this thing and then you kind of lose control over it. Um, you can lose control over it if you don't tend to it really carefully. And so it's like, I had failed to create a culture that was going to be like more than a happy little small group with each other. And so I said, we need a, we, the planted church need a huge shakeup in what we're doing. We're too young. We're too inexperienced. Uh, we're too insular. Uh, so we need to do, we need to do something because in and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes to make it. So it wasn't so much that 
was it like a nesting situation? Like our congregation is going to kind of nest in this church for a while or, yes. or did it kind of quick and then did it quickly become apparent that, Hey, I think this could work that we could share some, we could, sh- it could become much more like we're one church. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, like there's still, and, and the situation we're in now is we call it cooperative ministry. We've just found this kind of concept in the Presbyterian world, which means like, it's like, you merge your efforts without necessarily merging totally your structure. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just, and why do that? Eh, Cause it worked. And like um, it helped us actually, I think avoid some of the complicated questions of, of merger. Cause it's like, no, 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 we're not merging. And like, you know, writing up the documents and getting everyone to sign up. It's like, sign off on this. It's like, we can just do this and let's go forward. And so, um, so we did nest and with the intention though, of having the conversations of how much should we cooperate together? Uh, you know, um, should we and how much? And those conversations started within the first few months. You know, we were, uh, we had a joint worship service, like when we first got there, um, and then went separate, um, for probably the next eight or nine months. Um, and we're asking those questions in earnest before we kind of came back together, um, in, uh, in, in, in like, yeah, probably nine months after we had nested in there to start doing this, um, doing this cooperative thing really together in worship all the time. And you're the only pastor on staff. That's right. I'm it. So in a way, I, I mean, obviously if there were another pastor that, that, that would be super complicated, but, oh, yeah. but by default, I mean, sort of everyone, and not to mention you grew up in that congregation, but I'm, you know, you're the pastor, you're there, I'm sure as how's the other, the rest of the congregation feeling uh, or the original congregation, your home church feeling about, uh, do they just see you as your, your pastor, Dave, your pastor, Berge, you, you are our pastor, or is there still some, well, I, I don't know, but at least it's better than nothing, you know, <laughs> like at least it's better yeah, than, oh, yeah. yeah, like it, no, now it's, I'm pastor, you know, now it's, I'm pastor Dave, like, you know, that's, that's my identity with people. And it, it, the, most challenging aspect of it was, I mean, um, one was just like, it's a totally new paradigm shift for people, you know? So this is, and I mean, it's new for me, like we're kind of making this up as we go along. Um, uh, I love and that so, by the way. <laughs> and, there's the uncertainty, and people get uncomfortable with uncertainty, you know what I mean? Um, but the beautiful thing is like, it's like, what do we have to lose? You know what I mean? Like, like, wh- like literally, what do we have to lose? You were, you were thinking, is it going to be Thanksgiving or Christmas when we all have our goodbye service? And now it's like, no, like we have this new lease on life. So it was extremely exciting um, for people. So it helped them embrace that. I mean, the other thing was I had gone away for seven years, so I was removed and I had gained credibility by like, you know, being successful in like, uh, ministry, you know, seminary and ministry for seven years. So like I was not, and I, and I wasn't so immediate to the situation that I was like all involved in like all the things that had happened over seven years. I had a general overarching sense. I really understood the historical culture and a lot of the people and I had their trust. They knew that I was for them, that I wasn't some shyster coming to try to like steal their church or like do something. Um, the old, the old guard trusted me like almost from the jump. And there was some young people, really great people who had come within the last couple of years before this happened. And they were the most skeptical because they didn't know me. And they're like, yeah. uh, I've never met this person. Who is he? Like, what is he doing here? Um, and so those people were really great people. And now some of the most integral and biggest supporters to what we're doing, 
they had to be, it took time to win them over. Um, and it took patience. Uh, and so like that was hard. And then the other thing was there was another person, um, a really good person moderating the, the session uh, of the existing church. And, um, just, and I wasn't like even in the room, like when some of the important conversations were taking place. And that was very hard for me to not be like, even in the room, just to listen and like, Hey, would Dave, what do you think? Like, or we're talking about this. Do you have anything to add? Even as just a, someone to give voice, not run or do anything like that. But that was hard to not be in that conversation in the room for some of those very important conversations. And I had to learn to be very patient. Yeah. I love it. That's so cool. I love one of the encouraging things about your story to me is that sort of you've had this sort of evolving, shifting sense of call and ministry and then, and then just doing what's practical and what's right in front of you for the sake of the mission. I love it to have the courage as a church plant, as an established church to try something that nobody's really tried, or at least is different than, I mean, I'm sure there's examples out there because the mission matters enough to do it. And so that's awesome, dude. I'm I'm glad, grateful for that. It's a cool journey. And, and it's like, you know, like it's a little, it's, I mean, it actually like, people like, how does that work? Well, it's like actually works really easy. I mean, when you're in it, it's very like it, it, the system itself works and it, and it, and it makes sense. And I go like, you know, what would have been easy is like, death is easy. It's like very simple. We understand that. You know what I mean? Like you stay on your own, you die, you close. Boom. This is much more complicated, but I mean, living things are much more complicated than dead things. Um, and so, uh, and then it's like, judge a tree by its fruit, you yeah. know, like, is this effort bearing fruit for the kingdom? And <laughs> by any standard, objective and subjective, the answer is yes, resounding yes. And so that's what's encouraging to me is like, God, we're doing this and and we're making it up as we go along, but we know that we're, why are we doing this? To be faithful to the mission that you've set before us. And we have mission harmony. That's the most important thing. We all love Jesus. We all want to um, share and live out the gospel in a really thoughtful way here in the city of Minneapolis. We share that in common at, in, in our bones. So as long as we can pursue that together, um, and it's bearing fruit, we're just going to keep doing it, you know? I, I think this model, Dave, of um, planting new churches or, or uh, merging churches that are uh, struggling, uh, particularly a lot of smaller churches, at least in our denomination, that are, I mean, they're just, they're really already gone. I mean, they're really, mm-hmm. there's not much left. They do have some giving, they have some resources, and they have a building. I feel like this is the way that a lot of churches need to go. Um, admittedly, though, you know, I haven't heard of mergers going quite as smoothly as yours had, although technically you wouldn't say it's a merger. It's not but, technically a merger, so but, that, you know, that might so, be one reason. So maybe, maybe it's, it's, you know, kind of what you're naming it. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, I, I think this is so valuable. You know, our church has been considering... Uh, just thinking about what would it look like if we uh, were to partner with with these churches that are struggling, uh, it, almost like a satellite campus situation, but uh, maybe it would look a little different. I think I think there are a lot of churches. If they're not asking it, they should be asking this question: mm-hmm. How do we do this effectively? What what advice would you give to church leaders? pastors, elders, church planters about uh, considering what would it be like to partner with another church in order to 
be healthier? I mean, what advice would you give them? I'm sure you have like things you would do over again, things that you would do the same. What advice would you give them? You know, I, I think like there's just no, the most important thing and it takes so much time is, um, is trust. You know, like the groups you, like when you're thinking about doing this together, you have to trust each other that we are for each other and we're for the same things. And like, you know, like, like we're in it together, you know? And, and, um, so it's like any relationship building trust takes time and it has to be proven. Um, and so I had, you know, all these years of trust built up and I had to spend it and I had to earn it with some people, you know, I had to prove trustworthy and faithful and I had to serve, you know, sacrificially to earn credibility. So I think that that posture of trust, humility, you know, um, is important too when you're, if you're the person coming in, um, just saying like, Hey, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be humble. And then, um, I think it's like the just dogged persistence, you know, as if this is the thing, like I am going to like, uh, like I am going to outlast resistance against this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to give this up, you know? So, uh, yeah, having that like fortitude, intestinal fortitude to continue through the hard and uncomfortable times is great. And, um, I mean, like, I know that it was hard and I mean, we had our first joint worship service, which I thought was like the best thing ever. Um, like before we kind of nested, like we had this kickoff and then went to two separate services. Well, the, it was the best ever, but we had like brought in trust to the sanctuary and like screens, like it looked different. And I think objectively looked bad. Like, I think it was ugly, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like we did kind of sully this sacred space, but I was like, some people, there were so many people there that day, like more than had been in that sanctuary, you know, for probably six, seven years. And I was so excited because I'm like, here, this place is full of life. This is, this is what I envisioned. And some people only saw the, like, that we had ruined, you know, like that we had ruined this beautiful space. And so I was just like, no, 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 no. Okay. Like I can hear complaints about aesthetics, whatever, but, but, but a, a vital, like, worshiping you know this community worshiping together can be a real vital presence and make a difference here and so it's like i never lost sight of that even despite the like you know feedback that i got from it that wasn't universally positive when i was like how could you not just love this this is the best but and it's taken i mean honestly like it took it's taken like you know almost like oh three years to like get even back but now we're at that place and there's no complaining you know what i mean it's like celebration. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What I love too, because I think everybody's situation is unique. I mean, how unique of a situation to plant a church in the same backyard as the church you grew up in and all those things. I mean, so what I hear in your story is not, I mean, nobody else is going to have that exact situation, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a rare, rare thing. But what what I hear us saying is that each of us are presented with a a situation in which we are going to be required to be adaptable to change rules, to try different things that nobody's thought of before. And to, and I think in the church and just big picture, there's a, there's a window of opportunity right now where in our world and in the sort of the mainline world, there's been declined for so long that, that there's an openness to try just about anything. 
that maybe we can take advantage of and go for yeah. it in a way that we couldn't even 10 or 15 years ago or something. And so I think the encouraging thing for me to, when I was out listening to you is let's let's take the circumstance or the situation, the context we find ourselves in, and then be adaptable, write new rules, change change the way we think in order to accomplish the mission. And so good job. I love it. I can't wait to hear, you know, when we come back, you know, and tell the story of hopefully in the summertime or something when it's not so cold, we'll come back and <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. but it's like, but to and it's see like that. in trying this new thing and breaking the rules, it's like, what rules are being broken? It's not, yeah. you know, any, anything of theological or, you know, behavioral integrity. It's like, it's like, we're just pursuing, you know, the opportunity right. God has placed in front of us. And that's I think right. that that's a, uh, important message for people leading in no matter what context is like when God puts opportunities in front of you, like take like like take them don't make it harder on yourself than you have to already even though you know that risk aversion um yeah. is so strong and that status quo bias is so strong particularly in the church but i do think you're right jesse like we're in this era where it's like what do we have to lose yeah what do we have to lose yeah and isn't it more fun to like be courageous than you know cower um that's right and, and, and the truth is isn't aren't the people that we love the stories that we love people who did just what you've done and took a big risks? Maybe sometimes you fall on your face, but sometimes it works out. And twenty years from now, you get to tell this story of God's faithfulness and provision through a time of change and uh, risk. And those are the people we end up admiring in history and in our lives and leaders we end up looking up to. And so that's who, uh, yeah, that's who I want to be. I'm not always, you know, that risk aversion status quo pull is strong but we should go for it. So thanks for the encouragement uh, oh. to help us do it. Abs- yeah. I mean, ditto. And I would say, uh, Dave, are there some other resources? So we're going to put those, uh, that, that list of, of things uh, on the show notes, right. For um, what was the name of that document again? Uh, it's like the 10 marker, uh, 10 markers of healthy missional ten markers um, of churches healthy. or yeah. missional congregations. That'd so I'll give that. W- were there some other resources that you would recommend that helped you through this whole process that, um, either, uh, either logistically or theologically or, uh, just inspirationally, uh, uh, p- planning center helped me a lot. <laughs> That's right. And that helped me that, that did help. Uh, I mean, I just think getting people to know any way you can get people together to know each other who don't know each other. That's also the big thing is, is building those relationships of trust. And then, um, there was this great uh, little book written called In One Body Through the Cross, um, which was kind of headed up by sort of the first things crowd, but kind of the evangelicals and Catholics together crowd. That was a really beautiful, it's a beautiful um, short little book on the imperative of Christian unity and and the um, uh, uh, just the powerful witness that is to the reality of the gospel. I mean, that's just something I've returned to again and again is... when I'm like trying to say like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's like, no, this is like that, you know, brothers and sisters becoming one in Christ uh, across lines, um, is at the heart of our message. And so really the way we're doing church, so it's unique and kind of weird, um, is also a way to uh, expose a facet of the gospel that we wouldn't get to do otherwise. So, um, uh, in one body through the cross is this little theological book that informs a lot of the work that we're that we're doing that I love. So we could put a link to that on Amazon. Might be out of print, but you can always get it used for like one cent. So. Yeah. <laughs> well that that's great. And I would be remiss, Dave, if I did not mention your podcast, because honestly your podcast is one of the most entertaining, 
fun <laughs> fun things that I've listened to in a long time, like Trees Walking. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. It's nothing like this. It's just a no. whole different lane. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, and I, that's what I love about doing this is talk. I mean, like you guys talk shop, like you say, it's so fun. But this is a, it's a podcast I do, like Trees Walking. Um, and I do it with uh, a guy named Michael J. Nelson, who you may know from such TV shows as uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. So um, Mike is a congregant and a good, good friend. Um, and uh, and he's from the Twin Cities. And Mike is one of the he was an adult convert to Christianity, you know, uh, the writer, head writer and then host of the cult classic TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000. So he's so smart. He's so funny. And really, he was the comedic voice behind that show from the beginning. So um, though he wasn't the host the whole time, like he was the, he was really giving it its tone and its sense of humor. Um, he was the main one. And so he's just like so funny, um, and so insightful. And so we just talk about the big questions, you know, kind of like, Hey, what are, you know, is God real? And what's up with like so many denominations and like, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we just try to talk about big issues. And then we also just like have some silly, goofy thing that we talk about. And, um, yeah, so we we just hope that like it reaches people who are curious about Christianity and says like, hey, this isn't dumb, um, or people who are like Christians already and just wondering like, oh, how do I think through some of these big questions that are out there or, or my doubts? How do I wrestle with them in a way that um, makes sense? So it's that yeah, like trees walking. Uh, we you know three episodes a month. Yeah, I uh, I, I I love love that, and we did it because one of our friends in our congregation was like, hey, I have my kids, they're in their twenties, millennials. And, uh, you know, they don't go to church, but like, what's the way you could reach them? And they're not listening to your sermon podcast. So like, why don't you guys do this? And so we're like, okay. And, uh, yeah, so we've gotten a lot of awesome feedback on it so far. So that's great. And, yeah. How else can our listeners, uh, get hold of you? I'm sure a lot of people have questions and, you know, um, is there a, is there a, a way that they can maybe get hold of you and ask some questions? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, they can email me, uh, Dave at city of lakes, org is where you can find me. I'm happy to, and you know, I'm happy to get an email. You can check out like what, how we kind of frame the cooperative ministry, um, at, uh, uh, resurrection MPLS or resmpls.org. And, uh, that can also kind of show you how we tried to explain it to people without over explaining it. Cause, <laughs> cause we don't want to do that either. So, um, uh, that's another place to just look and say, okay, here's how they kind of set this up, or this is what he's talking about. See if it makes any sense to you. Yeah. Well, I know Jesse and I feel very, very blessed uh, to have you as a friend, and it's uh, it's been so great talking to you. I'm so uh, I, I I don't know how else to say. It. I'm just proud of what you've done and the ministry that you've that you've done. It's just so cool to watch and just to think about all those. All those years ago now uh, in seminary and where our lives have all gone. So um, great job and uh, can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks. Yeah, no, uh, it's a real pleasure. So fun to talk to you guys, to listen to you guys. And uh, yeah, yeah, great to have uh, friends like you. So thanks for thanks for letting me be a guest and giving me that honor. Wow, Jason, that is uh, such an amazing insight kind of time with Dave. It's so great. And uh, one, he's just a fun guy to interview and talk he to, is. honestly. He just the guy. He's could, the best. Yeah, he's he's a veteran at this. And uh, so a ton of fun just to have that conversation. But I'm really encouraged by his story of how he got to where he is and what they're doing now. And, and that idea of being open to whatever possibility God puts in front of you, even if it's a little bit maybe unorthodox or a new idea or unusual. And so this 
this way of merging two churches together. It's not a true merger in their case, but of, of thinking outside of the box in order to, to create life and vitality for both of these communities for the sake of their witness in the world and, and for what God is doing uh, through them. And so I love that. I think as we reflected and, and, and thought about what Dave has been sharing, you know, that this may be an idea that more churches want to consider. How do we work together in the Christian community in our, in our circles, in our, in our sort of local area? Uh, there might be opportunities to do these kinds of things that are a little bit messy. They take a lot of creativity. It's going to be uh, maybe hard to onboard everybody through that process. But instead of just being content to let churches disappear and to have their resources and their witness and their their impact disappear, uh, that somehow we can we can bring communities together to to reinvent something, make something new. And um, so I, I was taken by that. I love that he's trying it. And there's kind of, there's no examples out there really of that. And he's going for it. And so, uh, but I think we have a lot to learn from that and uh, just grateful for his willingness to share his ups and downs with that journey. Yeah, it was good. And I think that um, it was a reminder, you kind of kept hearing in his story, just how, you know, we just did it. We just moved forward. We just took a step. We just started figuring out what it would look like. I think, hey, listen, uh, I'm sure I've been guilty of this too. And this is probably a lot of churches get stuck here is that they just, it's death by planning. It's yeah. death, <laughs> death by meeting. Uh, we will meet and we will meet and we will talk and we'll deliberate and never go anywhere. And that is, that has been the MO of a lot of mainline denominational churches and, I, I just came to a point in my life where I'm just like, I can't do that anymore. I just can't be a part of something that's not going to do anything. I can't be part of another committee in my life. I just don't have it in me. I'm not as patient as other pastors, perhaps, but I just can't be a part of something that's not going to go anywhere. I'm yeah. like, who has time for that? Um, so I thought that was really good. I mean, Dave's, Dave's really a forward moving, forward thinking guy. And I think it's helpful for all of us to reflect on, okay, how are we? Just going for it, just moving, yeah. and just so, beginning. You know, we've talked about it yeah. as leaders that maybe that's the thing. We may not end up know what the end result is going to be, but just to have the courage to begin, to try it, to step out, and and see where it leads. So, uh, glad we got to have that conversation, and looking forward to what's coming next. Who, who's coming along uh, down the pipeline here? Yeah, so I'm really excited about our next episode and our next guest, who is John Hambrick. He's a Presbyterian, Presbyterian working on staff at North Point Ministries in Atlanta, which I, mean, I, I can't believe there are many of those. But we get a chance to get a little peek behind the curtain with John, and John's a great guy. He wrote this really wonderful book called Moving Toward the Mess, and uh, we're going to be talking about that, a little bit about his book and, and his life and ministry. And I think he is such a great encouragement uh, and was and was and is a great encouragement to us. And so we think that you'll find that he's an encouragement to you. Well, as you are uh, moving forward with your week, blessings. I know we're getting, we're right in the middle of the holiday time where you're, you're going crazy. You got a million things going on. Thanks for tuning in. If you do get a chance, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear how, how your ministry is doing. If you have any questions, want to engage in the conversation, again, you can look us up, Jason at reclaimleader.com and Jesse at reclaimleader.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And until then, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 